So as I said, we are, we are in this series called I Love to Tell Us Stories. And uh, it's a reminder for us of what the kingdom of heaven is, the plans that God has for us. We oftentimes act as if in the scriptures what Jesus taught us was, I would like for you once a week to gather when you're able, when there's not soccer, when there's not baseball, when you don't have people visiting, when there's absolutely nothing better to do with your lives, I would like you to gather for an hour, keep your eyes open, pretend to listen, and then rush home to eat dinner. That's often how we pretend the church was called into formation. It's not what we were called to do at all. It is, the church is a verb. It's meant to move and grow and make a difference. And what we want to do throughout this series is to remind you that it's not about what we do sitting here that makes the difference. It's what we do outside these walls that makes the difference. Now, certainly what we do within the walls is important because that's where we grow and learn and disciple and, uh, and edify ourselves so that when we get out, we have resources and, and uh, abilities to, to function in the world in the way that makes a difference. But overall, our, our mission is not about an hourly commitment. Sometimes it's, it's a lifelong following of Jesus Christ and his ministry. I'm going to read to you from Matthew 25. And in Matthew 25, it's in the part of <clears throat> Gospel of Matthew. Uh, it's that last week of Jesus's life that uh, he's just a few days away from uh, giving himself over uh, for crucifixion. He knows that this is his last week. He's teaching in the temple. It's his last shot at the crowds. This mission that he's been on for three years, this, this ministry that he's established, this is his last shot to sort of, uh, on a w wide basis, share his heart. And, and I think there's as much in what he didn't spend his time on as what he did. You'll notice as you read in Matthew 25 or at the end of uh, Luke or, or Mark, you'll notice the things that he didn't do. Jesus was present in a, in a culture that was one of the most uh, corrupt there ever has been with the Roman government and, and all that was going on in that. And Jesus chose not in that last week to stand up and rail against the government. And I think we all need to take a lesson from that. Calm down, everybody. But what he did do was tell us what the kingdom of heaven is about and what the priorities of the kingdom of heaven is. In chapter 25, he shares three parables. They're all about the coming time. The last of those is the parable of the sheep and the goats. Listen to these words. Matthew 25, beginning verse 1. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. 
And the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did you, when did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of these, the least of my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on his left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. And they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in person or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go to eternal life. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Thanks be to God. The action of the gospel, the kingdom work. This winter, a few weeks ago, uh, we had a team go to Liberia on behalf of this church. They were joined by some others. You'll get the details in just a moment. on a, on a mission for mobility worldwide in Liberia. And uh, they are here to share some of their experiences. And, and part of why we're doing that is because they went as an agency of this church. We sinned. We bless and send. We bless and send. We bless and send. These are those that we sent, and they are now here to share of their stories. Would you welcome our Liberia mission team? And I'll just make a note. Uh, Your name was spelled wrong in the bulletin, Trey. (laughs) It's not my fault. (laughs) Go ahead. No, no, that's for you. So we're very glad Trey is here. Um, During the trip, we often um, had to wait on Trey. And today, he's only two services late. So uh, we're very glad to have him. A bit of week early, from what you thought, yeah. Thank you so much for letting us be here today. Um, The four of us from Kerrville First United Methodist Church went to Liberia. Journeying with us was my brother who lives in San Antonio, someone from Florida. And we had seven people from Alaska join us on our trip. And now these are... One of my greatest joys in life is giving grief to my older brother. And now I have more brothers to tease, so it's, it's wonderful. But I know what's really on your mind right now, what's really on your mind is, what in the world is she wearing? <laughs> what I'm wearing is a gift from the church in Liberia that we visited, Lot G. Matthews. Lot G. Matthews, Matthews was a, the gentleman who founded the church. That's what it's named after. So... They gave every woman on the trip one of these dresses, and the guys got shirts. But, ladies, you're going to appreciate that. I've got pockets, and I love, love having pockets. So these are the people on the trip, and then the seven from Alaska. Could I have the next slide? 
We were in Liberia, which is in West Africa. The first star on the north on the coast is Monrovia. It's a rather large city. Several million people live there. The star right below it is where the church, Lot G. Matthews, is. It would take us um, on Sunday morning. It only took about half an hour to get there from our guest house. During the week when things were busy, it would take over an hour to get there. But we also traveled to Banga, which is northeast of Liberia. That's the second star up there. That's where we gave away mobility carts. And then we traveled on to Ganta near the Guinea border to see the um, leprosy colony. Next, next slide, please. Our biggest project while we were in Liberia was to build the foundation for an addition to Lot G. Matthews. It's an addition they desperately need. They need the space, particularly for the sewing school, and Trey is going to tell you about that. Yeah, so this, this photograph here... That I don't think you're on. Okay. So this picture that you're looking at right here is what we were greeted by. So they... Um, they were trying to expand their, their chapel and to have more of a multi-purpose center that would have offices as well because the, um, the facility in, it, in and of itself was, I mean, it was way too small for the amount of activity that they had. Um, next slide, please. So this uh, is an example of some of the work that we did. The day that we were out there, which I believe was a weekday. Um, I think Tuesday, maybe. Tuesday, yeah, yeah. Um, so a Tuesday. We were greeted by, I mean, so many people, so many volunteers that came out there. And especially we were overwhelmed by how many little kids came out there. And this task right here, I know what you're looking at. You're th sitting there thinking, okay, they're showing a, a, you know, a mound of dirt uh, you know, in a building. Well, what we had to do, that, that picture that you saw previously, all those little cells, those little rectangular shapes, we had to backfill all those with dirt. So luckily, I was very well qualified for this position, as were <laughs> my constituents here. We, we were fully aware of how to do that. But what we weren't prepared for was the means by how we were going to fill it. So it was buckets. It was saucers. It was hands in some cases. But um, it was just, I mean, all these kids came out there to help out. Women of the community or of the church, I should say, came out there and helped us. And, um, you know, it gave us a great chance to fellowship with these people from you know clear on the other side of the world to us and i mean you know years difference from us not in age per se but more from um experience and what these you know the the tools and the resources that they had available to them but but again i mean it's just a i guess it's just a sign of you know how they're able to utilize what little they have next slide please and then this is a very, very rare photograph because it's showing Gary in the wild actually working. There was a tool, there was a tool in his hands. Now, we had to adjust the shutter speed to even catch this one. No. Good job, Gary. Is that it? No, one more. Okay, next slide, please. And up there at the top, the gentleman with the red uh, hard hat on. His name was Moses. And he, uh, we ended up, well, I, I thought he was a hired hand the whole time. Um, come to find out he was the, uh, the, one of the main percussionists uh, in their group. Once again, just a volunteer. But the guy, we called him Moses the Machine because he never, ever stopped working. The guy was, I've never seen anybody work like this. Um, 
he was he was he was extremely resourceful and one of the things they did if you noticed um the cinder blocks down there they they made all those cinder blocks by themselves and they had a stack golly how big i mean it was substantial five or six feet tall by you know a couple hundred feet long of these cinder blocks that they had made themselves just by um, um by building their own form and then pouring them themselves. But anyway, these folks were very industrious and I think that they're gonna be very proud of the facility once they complete it. Okay. Could we have the next slide, please? Um, I'll, I'll talk for just a second. Um, right next to the church is a school. And in that school, they've kind of claimed one of the classrooms for the sewing school. Over the last several years, uh, the Mobility Worldwide Shop in Bryan, Texas, has been sending treadle sewing machines and also purchasing treadle sewing machines in Liberia to train women to sew. Now, they have very little electricity there, so they have to have the treadle machines, and there's no light. So in that classroom, you can see how dark it is. The only light is from those corrugated panels in the ceiling. Occasionally, the lights would come on, but the generator was right next to the sewing school, and the fumes would come into the room. I went into the room for about 10 minutes and then had to walk out because it made me sick. I don't know how they did it. May I have the next slide? but the women are learning to sew. In Liberia, there is a public school system. It's, it's not very good, I and mean, there's also private schools, but every child in Liberia wears a uniform to school. There's no JCPenney's, there's no Amazon, you can't order a uniform online. It has to be made by a local seamstress. And so with these women learning to sew, they can make school uniforms for children, earn money so that they can make a living wage and they can support their children. When you teach a woman to sew, you're not only improving her life, you're improving the lives of her children. This sewing school is going to move into that addition as soon as it's uh, completed, and so the women will have light and air. Simple things to ask for, right? Light and air. Maybe the next slide. Gary? So this is at the School for the Deaf and we were tasked with just painting the outside of the, of the building and just giving it a fresh coat. And we were able to knock that out fairly quickly, so we got to spend the, the rest of the afternoon talking with the, some of the students there and some of their teachers as well. And that was an eye-opening experience. We had a translator sitting there with us, and we were able to hear their stories about uh, how each of them, each of the teachers had become deaf and all of them were different. It was, it was uh, just a, a kind of eye-opening to not everybody's just born that way, but it, there's either a sickness or um, just somebody woke up literally deaf. Um, and just being able to, to learn a little bit of sign language from, from them and converse and, and just have a relationship was, was an amazing experience with, to be with him. Thank you. May we have the next slide? One of the big projects we had also was to pass out days for girls kits. I think I told y'all last time that I was here that when, one, when young girls have their menstrual period, they don't go to school because they don't have access to disposable sanitary napkins. So they miss school four or five days every month. They're already behind socially, economically, and then they get behind in their education. 
Well, Days for Girls is an international organization of seamstresses, and they make these little kits with washable, reusable menstrual pads. And so one of the great things about the program is they don't just give away the kits. They also provide an education program for the girls. Uh, up there in pink at the very front of all those girls is Mary Warner. Mary Warner came from Alaska. She's a, a seamstress for Days for Girls. We sent a bunch of Days for Girls kits in a container earlier in the year. Mary brought about two suitcases full of Days for Girls kits. I think we handed out over 400 of them. But it was interesting. I did not get to participate in this because I was helping with the eye exams. And I was really surprised at how many slides we had of this event and of the joy and celebration those girls experienced in receiving these kits. May I have the next slide? The young lady on your far left is Noelle Pierce. She's from McGrath, Alaska. She turned 16 while we were there. And she participated in the Days for Girls kits, handing out the kits, but helping with the education program. And it was such a wonderful thing to have a young girl talking to young girls. She made such a connection with them. It was wonderful. Next slide, please. And you can see there was a party. Every time they did this, there was a huge party. That's Reverend Rose Farhat. She's pastor at Lot G. Matthews and one of the girls who received her kits. Next slide. But let me tell you, those girls were joyous about receiving these kits because it's going to change their lives and it's going to help them with their education. Next slide. Uh, what I spent a couple of days doing, actually two and a half days, was helping Doc Myers. He's an optometrist from Kodiak, Alaska. He came on the trip with us, and in two and a half days, he saw about 500 people. It was remarkable. We actually had to lock the door to the room that we were in because people were fighting in the hallway to get in. They were so desperate for eye care. Some of them had never seen an eye doctor in their lives. Next slide. This is Chris Myers, Doc's wife. The Lions Club in Kodiak, Alaska let uh, the Myers borrow two of these vision screening uh, machines. She would do the initial vision screening on each person to kind of find out where their prescription should be. Uh, Doc would see them after that. Next slide. And then we had to sort through glasses. The Lions Club in uh, College Station and in Kodiak provided refurbished eyeglasses. And we had, believe it or not, there, there was method to this madness. But Doc would tell me what they would need. And then we would start going through all these glasses to provide uh, eyeglasses for the people. One of the things that I, I learned that I did not know, and if there's an optometrist in the house, you can correct me because my pronunciation is probably wrong. But we saw hundreds of people with tremegia on their eyes. What happens in Liberia is the sun is quite intense. There's a lot of dust and pollution in the air. And people's, their eyes get dry and they rub their eyes. And when they do that, this tremegia forms, it's kind of like a little callus. And what happens when you get something in your eye? You rub it more, and you rub it more. And eventually, those things can grow over the pupil and blind you, and surgery has to be done to remove it. So what will prevent tremegia? Sunglasses to protect you from the sun, 
and eye drops. When your eyes get dry, you put in drops. That's all it takes to prevent it. We gave away all the sunglasses we had. We, we ran out, and we gave out all the eye drops that Doc brought from Alaska. Doc even went to a pharmacy to see if he could find some more eye drops, and he could not find them in the pharmacy. But that simple thing would make people's lives so much more comfortable. Can you imagine having that in your eye constantly? Next slide. After we finished some of our projects in uh, Monrovia, we drove to Banga, which is about, and it took about three hours to get there with traffic. And that's where we gave away the mobility cards. And you know, that's, that's my real passion. I'm chair of the trustees for the international board. We have 20 shops that build these carts here in the United States. We have three in Africa. Our newest one is in Liberia, in Banga. And that's one of the carts right there. We got there about about 12 o'clock, but we had people waiting for us since 5.30 in the morning, waiting desperately for those carts. Next slide. This is Moses. Moses was born with this birth defect, and he spent his entire life crawling on his knees, leaning on a stick. But when he left, next slide, Moses rode away. So I've been doing this a number of years, and I've, I've built these carts. I can build one from scratch, except for the welding, but I can build one. But it's still a miracle to me that people come to you crawling on the ground, and they go away riding. It's, it's like a miracle every single time I feel that way. It's amazing. Next slide. This is Martha. Martha also um, was born with this defect, and you can see the slide on your left. That's how she got around. She, she used her feet, but she had to have her hands on the ground to move forward, and she would wear sandals on her hands to protect her hands as she got around. Martha had six children. She came to the distribution by herself. She traveled for several miles like that to get to the distribution, but when she left, she rode away. Next slide. This is Gorbu. Gorbu was 69 years old. She was born with this birth defect, spent her entire life crawling on the ground, 69 years. Her knees were all calloused, and she wore sandals on her hands to protect them. But when she left, she was riding a cart. And that is so powerful, but there's such a stigma against having a disability in the developing world, as if you've sinned or your parents did something wrong. So when you've spent 69 years of people looking down on you, and people will push uh, anyone who's disabled and they're on the ground, they push them aside, they treat them badly, and that's how she spent 69 years. But when she left, she was raised off the ground and could look people in the eye. That's, that's something. Next slide. Uh, this is uh, Kirkulu and uh, August. And I wanted to show you a, a picture of them because uh, particularly Kirkulu, I, I had not really kind of seen this before. Um, he told me that he, as he got older, his muscles got weaker and weaker and he had less use of his arms and legs. So I don't know if he had ALS or MS or, or what he had, but his legs were so weak he had no control over his legs at all. He had some upper body strength. And the way he got around was he sat on his rear end and he would use his arms, and it was difficult for him, but he would use his arms to lift his body up 
move his rear end about six inches. And then he would pick up his right leg and move it and then pick up his left leg and move it and start the process over again. And that's how he got around. August next to him had a, a similar thing. He told me he just woke up one morning and couldn't move his legs anymore. I often uh, meet people who say they were walking down the street and suddenly they couldn't walk. And often I suspect it's a stroke because it's one side or the body or the other. But with August, it was both legs. And he got around kind of like Kurkulu, but he had a little more strength. But both of them, they rode away. Next slide. And I had to show this, these pictures of Fatma. She was a beautiful six-year-old girl, and you could tell she was loved. She had on this gorgeous dress that went all the way to the ground. She was missing a leg. And I suspect that her parents kept her in long dresses because it wasn't as obvious that she had a leg missing, so she so people would not be cruel to her. That was one of the reasons. But she had beautiful braids in her hair. She could had trouble getting to school. Her parents had to carry her to school because it was so difficult for her with a crutch to get to school every day, and so her parents would carry her. But now with her new child-sized cart, uh, Fatma is going to be able to ride her cart to school, and her dad is going to walk proudly beside her. She and her father lived pretty far away from this distribution, and so they rode a motorcycle to get there, and then they rode a motorcycle to get home. So you can see the driver. And in between is little Fatma, and then her dad, and then the mobility cart, all on a motorcycle. <laughs> Next slide. This woman had, uh, I can't remember, she had three or four children. She brought the youngest with her. She was able to walk. She had a crutch, but it was very difficult for her to get around. And you can see from the smile on her face how this cart has changed her life, that she'll be able to ride around. She'll be able to take care of those children. She'll be able to work. Her kids will be able to go to better schools. It's just made a fantastic difference in their lives. Next slide. We visited several places while we were there. Uh, we visited the home for the abandoned elderly. Not the elderly, the abandoned elderly. It was in a beautiful spot near the ocean. It was on a lagoon. It was quite beautiful. The facilities were not, you know, not too bad for Liberia. They could take as many as 10 patients there at this home, but they only had five because they didn't have enough money to feed and take care of any more people. Next slide. This is the kitchen that they cooked on. It was probably a typical Liberian kitchen. And they had really a nice meal when we were there. But Rose told me later that that was probably a meal that they just prepared because they were having visitors, that the people who lived there really did not have that good of food on a regular basis. Reverend Farhat is a member of the board for this home for the abandoned elderly. This church was very generous in its donations for our projects. We gave uh, $500 to the home for the abandoned elderly. All of us took uh, blankets and towels with us, some of which we used while we were there. Um, we had them washed, and uh, Rose was going to give them all to the home for the abandoned elderly. So those are the things that we did for them. Next slide. 
This is the leprosy colony. So what happens is um, on the leprosy colony, there is a large hospital, and they take care of all kinds of skin diseases. Some of them um, are actually worse than leprosy, it seems to me. But what happens is when a person has leprosy, they go to the hospital and they receive treatment. After treatment, they are no longer contagious, but often they are scarred or they are missing fingers. And because they've had leprosy, they can no longer fit in with society. They will not be accepted. So they live there on the colony. They have all these uh, mud brick homes that are little duplexes that people live their entire lives and they raise their families there. And you can see there are lots of children that live at this leprosy colony. The children have not had leprosy, but their parents have had leprosy in the past. Out in the foyer, I brought all kinds of crafts and wood carvings and things that I have uh, gathered up over my time in Liberia. I suggest you go look at them. There are several baskets out there, and they're all made at the leprosy colony where they, they make them and sell them to help support themselves. Next slide. So... We had lots of projects. We, uh, we helped build that foundation. We examined eyes. We did the days for girls' kids. Uh, we just did all kinds of things. But the real purpose of our visit was this. That's Trey. <laughs> And uh, we like to tease Trey that he really didn't do any work, that all he did was uh, play with the kids. But you know what? That's exactly what he needed to do. And he actually did do some work. But he made connections with those kids. We, we called Trey the Pied Piper because kids follow him wherever he goes. But Trey uh, spent his time loving on those kids and letting them know that somewhere in the world, despite their difficult lives and their hungry bellies and their bare feet, that somebody loved them. But you know what? Trey received more love than he gave. Next slide, please. So this is our group, um, and we're there with uh, one of our recipients, Matthew Bucket is that young man's name. And we had these yellow shirts, and on the back was a scripture, John 13, 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And definitely Christ meant you need to love the person next to you in your pew, next to you in the church, in Kerrville. But he also meant for us to love people around the world. Other Christians, particularly around the world, need our love. And that's why we were there. Next slide. This is Gary. Gary loves a selfie. So <laughs> we had a lot of selfies to go through. Uh, but Gary is a lot like my daughter-in-law. He never met somebody who wasn't his best friend. And uh, Gary loved them, and he loved them back. But uh, one of the things that was very unique about this group that I traveled with, when uh, usually when you travel to a new place, a developing country, most people, including myself, the first time I went, I was a little standoffish, just a little nervous, didn't know quite how to connect. These guys, they jumped in there like they'd lived there their whole lives. The whole group did. They were amazing. 
Next slide. This is kind of a metaphor for how the church treated us. This is the open door to Lot G. Matthews. That's Reverend Rose Farhat and her assistant pastor, uh, James Robertson. We got to worship with them on Sunday, but also on Wednesday afternoon, the church invited us to come for a time of fellowship where they fed us. People who don't have enough food at night themselves took their money and fed us. And then they celebrated with us and the choir sang. And we'll show you some pictures of that in a minute. Next slide. This is at the celebration. You can see all the children there. It was actually Noelle's Pierce's 16th birthday. They got her a birthday cake. And sang, the choir sang happy birthday her, to her. And then she was able to share her cake with all the children. Now, Lonnie is up there. Do you notice Lonnie dancing in the conga line? So... <laughs> Six weeks before we left, Lonnie had knee surgery, and he was worried that he wouldn't be able to make the trip. But apparently, God healed him enough for a conga line. (laughs) Next slide, please. Uh, They gave us these gifts. The guys got shirts. The ladies all got dresses. Just so generous, so welcoming. Next slide. And we got to worship with them. Now, a worship service in Liberia is usually about three hours long. Um, Someone timed it, I don't remember who, and they told me this service was three and a half hours long. Rose told me she was taking it easy on us. I was a little nervous about this because I do not sit still well for very long. But let me tell you, that worship service went by in a flash. And Lonnie's going to tell you more about it. I'm Lonnie Phillips. I'm a retired United Methodist pastor after 42 years. I I had had some practice of reading scripture and serving communion. It was a generous, gracious offer by Pastor Rose to invite me to participate in that worship service. I, I probably shocked and surprised my fellow missioners by joining in that conga line. I call it a spirit dance. And so, uh, I mean, worship worship in the black church there, it was a full body experience. You, you, you can't help but move. I think there's some, some more music that we want to see the choir. My, my attention was drawn to the choir because I am a part of an incredible group of people led by, by Haley Montoya. And th- this choir is exceptional, and it has met its match right there. <laughs> Can we listen to that? There's the spirit dance again. <laughs> You can't help but move and shake and clap your hands and and be a part of that experience. This is Sunday morning worship now. The choir again leads the way. time. So the choir leads the way. They, they got out of the choir loft and went down one aisle and came back down the other aisle and every member of the congregation is expected to join in that line for the offering time. 
you get what I'm saying now. Everybody joins in the line because there are now four pots up in front of the altar. One pot is for church mission and uh, church uh, upkeep and maintenance. Another is for missional outreach. Another is for pastor's discretionary fund. And another, another pot is for the choir. Everybody joins in. Now, you can, get, you can put your offering in one of those pots or all four. Such was the invitation. I must tell you that the church on Sunday morning, it was um, what a joyous, outlandish experience. The, the church is a safe zone as far as I was concerned because here, here's, understand this, 2% of the population, 2% of the population, 2% of the population, 65 and over. Think about that for a second. If you're 25, 24 years and younger, you're 80% of the population. And I guarantee you at least 80% of those folks are driving those Honda 100s or Suzuki 150s on their motorcycles. And they are coming at you from left side and right side. And thank God we had a native driver, Joe, who knew the rules of the road, because I don't think there are any rules of the road. There are no stop signs or red lights or green lights. The rules of the road are simply this. Don't hit anybody and don't get hit by anybody. <laughs> so the church was a safe place on Sunday morning. For I'd never seen poverty quite like this but those folks on Sunday morning it's the highlight of their week highlight of their week and it showed up in their attitude with great joy and their attire I mean they were dressed to the nines tens elevens and twelves mm -hmm. couldn't be matched serving communion when the children came in, I had no words. I'm supposed to say the body of Christ. What I ended up saying when I could talk was, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. So, church, thank you ever so much for supporting us, for allowing us to be part of your hands and feet and mission there in Liberia. What a, an incredible experience it was for me and for us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, So this was after the church service. As I told you, it was three hours and 20 minutes long, and it went by like this. And um, we told uh, Reverend Payne to not get any ideas. Uh, just, just so you know. Uh, this is some of the congregation gathering outside the church. The women in all white are deaconesses. They're spiritual leaders, but they also help keep the church running. As we know, it's women who run the church. Next slide. This is a little more formal picture of them. The lady all in pink is Mary. She went to Bonga with us. They were so grateful. 
They were so grateful. Well, they were grateful to us for going, but they were so grateful for you to help them with the funding and for sending us. And to know that someone in the United States, in Texas, they probably don't even know where Texas is, but someone there, fellow Christians, loved them and cared about them. Next slide. So I sat down with Rose for a few minutes while we were still there, and my brain is going like this. Okay, the, the, the elderly need this, and, and uh, we need to do this for people's eyesight. We need to get some um, eye drops, and we need to do this for the church. And I kept going and going, and Rose said, whoa, stop. She said, it's not good for my people to only be takers. Your church is willing to give and give and give, but we don't need to take and take and take. If we're going to continue a relationship, it needs to be an equal relationship. When you go on a trip like this and you come back home, you don't want to stop. We can't we cannot go back to our regular lives and forget about all the people that we met and loved in Liberia. And all of us get really homesick when we see these pictures. But we can't just give. Man, the next slide. So I thought, well, what in the world could Lot G. Matthews give us? How do we create this equal relationship when the economic differences are so huge? And we had some ideas. We thought with today's technology, Rose could film a choir performance and we could play it one day in church. Um, I have the crafts out there. We can get lots of crafts. We could have a sale, an auction, and sell some crafts. The sewing school is also willing to start making bags and things that we could sell. Rose comes over to the United States about twice a year to see her, her children. I think she'll be coming over in September to our Mobility Worldwide Conference. She can bring some things, and we could have an auction. I would love to see a relationship between our children, some kind of Zoom uh, singing or scripture readings or something like that. But there are ways that we can connect with them so that we're not just connected, but that we're all connected. May I have the next slide? So this is the group. We took our pictures all in our attire. And they were the most, uh, it was the most rewarding mission trip I've, I've ever been on. And one of the biggest reasons is this group of people. When you go on a mission trip, nothing goes right. If you're supposed to eat at noon, you don't eat till 2 o'clock. A trip in a car that's supposed to take half an hour takes two hours. The internet at the hotel does not exist. So things like that happen all the time and they never ever complained. Nobody said a harsh word to each other or to me or complained until until the last day when we were at that church service and we worshiped with Lot G. Matthews and then we fellowshiped afterwards. We had to leave. We had reservations for dinner at a restaurant downtown. Rose's uh, husband was down there holding tables for us, and people didn't want to leave. And they got quite irritated with me when I said, we have to go. You have to get in the van now. And they got a little irritated with me. It's the only time anybody got irritated with me because they didn't want to stop. They loved being there. They loved those people. They wanted to help them. They wanted to continue the relationship. 
So we've all met with uh, Reverend Payne about this, and we, I would love, you know, this is my brain, I would love to see a sister's kind of relationship with our between our churches, but it's not for us to decide, it's for us to decide. And so what we would like to do is form a Liberian mission team, a group of people who are interested in missions in Liberia. It doesn't mean you have to go. We probably do plan to go back in a couple of years, but you can still be involved in the mission with Liberia if you would like to join this team. Out there in the foyer, there's a, a sheet of paper. You can sign up on the sheet of paper. There's also my business cards. If you don't have time to sign the sheet of paper, that's fine. Grab a business card and send me an email. And we will form a team to see how this church would like to proceed in the future with working with Liberia. I have to say I am so grateful to everyone in this church. Uh, Raven Payne has been so supportive. When I first spoke to y'all, we had just joined the church. He hardly knew me. And he let me come up here and stand in front of you and speak to you. And he's been supporting this mission. Beth Palmer, she gathered basketballs and volleyballs and school supplies and all kinds of things to give to the children at the school for the death. Kathy Robertson helped you so much with the finances. There's nothing that gives me headache more than a spreadsheet. And she really helped me through that. And I'm very grateful. When I spoke to y'all last summer, I thought, wouldn't it be cool if I could raise $5,000? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be amazing? That would be enough to start that foundation. We could, you know, start that addition. This church gave $27,000. Kathy told me there's more money in the fund now. So I am so grateful. Uh, we are your hands and feet. We felt lifted up the whole time we were there because we knew you were praying for us and we knew you were caring about us and thinking about us. And we're still doing that. I, I pray every day for our friends in Liberia. And I hope that you will join us in continuing that mission. Thank you so much. So as I said, um, <clears throat> uh, church is just being the hands and feet of, of Christ. And change subjects real quick, uh, but um, we've been praying for uh, Deste Berg, who has uh, heart uh, problems and has been up in Houston. And um, I see Tim over here, and uh, they have been able, Deste's doing good enough that they've been able to come home for uh, time periods. And uh, that's because uh, God who... Um, a God who listens and cares is able to do what would otherwise be impossible. And so thank you for praying. Uh, Tim, um, can share that with Deste and Linda, and uh, we're, we're going to continue. They still have a long road ahead of them. Uh, but thank you, church. You're doing a good job. You haven't heard me say that very often, have you? <laughs> But we're doing we're 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 doing great things, and it's because of you. Why don't you stand? We're going to close our service together. Just under three hours. Um, 